Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week. As always, Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Overcast, Pandora, TuneIn Radio. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So go ahead and follow. I always like to post pictures of organisms and give updates as to when new episodes are coming out. So the last episode was a, um, an interview episode. I always like these because I get to connect with professionals from the field, let it be fellow laboratorians or other microbiologists. So this was a good episode. I got to talk to Paul Luthi, you know, who's assistant professor at the University of Maryland School of Medicine and also an associate director at the Clinical Microbiology Lab at the University of Maryland Medical Center Laboratories of Pathology. So this was a very interesting episode about an unusual organism, a gram-negative rod, which is called Wolfhartimonas carineclastica. And very unusual presentation. I mean, typically you might see this organism. There's only a handful of cases. And when you see it, it's typically from, you know, the, the patients are homeless. But what made this unusual on top that it was already a rare organism, it's that when Wolfhartimonas carineclastica is seen, it's typically seen in polymicrobial infections. However, in this case, it was a monomicrobial. So this was the only organism involved. It came from a blood culture. And in the interview, Dr. Luthi talks about you know, what kind of susceptibilities were done. You know, there are no breakpoints for this organism. So basically the patient was put on, on an antibiotic and then observed, and then the patient responded to the therapy. So in the era where molecular Molotov, you know, this instrument, this technology, you know, keeps advancing more and more, it is always good to have these organisms in the back of your mind. You never know when you're going to be in a lab, especially if you have Molotov, that you might encounter one of these. It is one of the unusual ones, but go ahead and put it in the back of your mind. And then maybe one day you might encounter it and you're like, oh, I heard about that in uh, this podcast, Let's Talk Micro. So check your history, you know, make sure everything matches and it should be okay. So if you haven't had a chance to check it out, go ahead and do so. It is episode 35, and in it, an, an article titled Wolfhartimonas Kerenclastica Monomicrobial Bacteremia in a Homeless Man is discussed. And if you want to go ahead and read the article, it, is, it was published in the Emerging Infectious Diseases Journal from the Center of Disease Control, the CDC, in December of 2021. So go ahead and check the article, and go ahead and check the episode. It was a very cool conversation with Dr. Luthi about this organism. Okay, so let's get to today's episode. So prior to the interview, right, I have finished uh, discussing group-based strep or streptococcus pyogenes. I went over the details about um, which disease states it's seen. You know, we talked about the Lansfield group. I talked about colony morphology, which media it grows, and we went over several tests used to identify it. Of course, you know, you have this in the culture. 
I talk about antigen-based methods and I went over a PCR method. So today, you know, uh, group A strep, it was Lancefield group A. So today I'm going to talk about Lancefield group B. So I am talking about Streptococcus agalactiae. So on the Lancefield classification system, Streptococcus agalactiae is group B. It is normal flora of the female genital tract and the lower gastrointestinal tract. It occasionally colonizes the upper respiratory tract, and it typically does not cause problems. But when it gains access to a normally sterile site, it causes infections. And one thing that makes this organism very serious is that it can be passed from the mother to the baby during delivery, causing neonatal meningitis. Other infections of group B strep or Streptococcus agalacti, I mean, at this point, they are interchangeable. So if I, I, I might be saying GBS, group B strep, or Streptococcus agalacti. So one thing that other infections, sorry, uh, include bacteremia, soft tissue infections, and pneumonia. And it can also be involved in postpartum infections, such as endometriosis. So this is a very serious organism. So I'm just going to spend a little more time on it. So according to the Manual of Clinical Microbiology of the American Society for Microbiology, or the ASM, neonatal infections present in two different ways. One is early onset, which is characterized by sepsis and pneumonia within the first seven days of birth. And then you have the late onset with sepsis and meningitis within seven days to three months of birth. The most important factor in neonatal disease is the colonization of the female genital and gastrointestinal tract, and this is seen in 10 to 30% of pregnancies. Transmission after birth by the mother or healthcare personnel is responsible for the majority of the late onset disease. So this brings the question, how can this be prevented? Well, antibiotics are given during delivery, and in order to do so, they screen for group B strep between 35 to 37 weeks of gestation. How is this done? Well, a lower vaginal and rectal swab is collected, and in the lab we can test for it in many ways. The most classic one is the group B culture. You know, those of you that work in the lab are familiar with this. So we played this swab in blood agar and taught Hewitt broth. If you don't know, I mean, if you don't work in the lab, maybe you're a student, you're wondering what Todd Hewitt brought this. So don't worry about it. I will be talking more about it in the next episode. So once we have plated this, we examine the plates for group B strep colonies at 24 and 48 hours. And the broth is subcultured to blood agar and examined for two days as well. But listeners, don't worry, like I just said, I will talk more about Torhut in the next episode, so I will be going over the components and how is it worked up in the lab. So stay tuned for the next episode after this one. So I mentioned that, right? So we examined for group B strep colonies at 24 and 48 hours. So that brings some questions, right? What do the colonies look like, right? He's saying examine for group B colonies. So what do they look like? And then also, how do we identify it in the lab? 
while in Streptococcus agalactic colonies are beta-hemolytic. There are some degrees of hemolysis, and I know that, you know, it's not to say because alpha hemolysis is partial, so it, it gives like a greenish color. And then beta hemolysis, as you know, is complete lysis of the red blood cells, so it's clear see-through. Now, there are some degrees of intensity of beta hemolysis. So, uh, Streptococcus pyogenes, you know, your Streptococcus dysgalactiase, they tend to have a pretty strong beta hemolysis. So with group B, the hemolysis, you know, it's beta, but the intensity is not as strong. The colonies tend to be milky white. Some of you that maybe work in, you know, large facilities or might seem, you know, get a high volume, maybe at some point in time of your careers, you might have seen a, a Streptococcus agalacti that the colonies are yellowish. So have I. So yes, but this is an unusual morphology. Your typical day-to-day -day that you see in the lab, the colonies are like a milky white, and they are beta-hemolytic. So we have beta-hemolytic colonies, you know, like a white milky color. So then what are the biochemicals? Well, you know, it's a strep. So they are, the colonies are catalyst negative, PYR negative. And like I mentioned, they are Lansfield group B. So they will agglutinate with the B latex. You know, that typical, that Path of the X kit that I mentioned, you know, it, it tests for Lansfield's groups A, B, C, F, and G. So for Streptococcus agalactiae, so it's included in that group. It is included. So however, since you tend to see so much group B strep, you know, from various sources in the lab, Typically, the labs will purchase these kits, you know, the B latex, separately. That way you can just have it and then don't go over it and kind of ruin the kit. You know, you're going to have all these kits with like missing B, you know, a lot of times missing A because you, you tend to go through them faster than the other Lansfield types. So it is very typical in the lab to see your standard Path of DX kit and then you have some boxes that just have the B latex. This is very standard in the lab. Group B strep grows in blood, chocolate, PEA. It is a facultative anaerobe, so it will grow on CDC and BAP and PEA incubated anaerobically. So beta hemolytic, catalyst negative, PYR negative, strep typing, B positive. And this typing and the morphology is actually, you know, with beta hemolysis, it's enough to presumptively identify. And I always like to repeat this, so presumptive identifications is when you, ident you can identify the organism based on a certain characteristics, you know, some colony morphology and biochemicals, right? Staph aureus, beta hemolysis, catalyst positive, coagulase positive. E. coli, flat lactose fermenter dry, Indole positive. So those are presumptive IDs. So with group B, as long as you know you have beta hemolysis, strep B positive, you can call it Streptococcus agalacti or group B strep. And of course, you know, it can be identified with Vitag, Molotov, and other commercial methods. Now I mentioned that this organism causes meningitis, you know, it also causes septicemia. So you can identify it in blood cultures with nucleic and PCR methods. 
So I mentioned, you know, that that block culture method that will definitely identify staff warriors, staff lugdenancies, and then the other ones will mention it as coagulase negative staff. So these same methods will ID, you know, streptococcus pyogenes, and they will ID streptococcus agalacti as well. And since it causes meningitis, you can also see it on the meningitis panels that you've run for cerebral spinal fluid. So this panel, you know, typically it, it will test for, you know, your classic organisms that cause meningitis. So on this panel, you can see Cryptococcus neoformans, you can see Streptococcus agalactiae, you see Haemophilus influenza, Neisseria meningitis. So they are included in this panel. So you will see Streptococcus agalactiae in one of these panels. So there are definitely PCR methods that can, you know, you use for those rectal vaginal swabs. And I will be talking about that in the next episode. So, right, I mentioned that at 35 to 37 weeks of gestation, that particular swab is collected. Depending on what kind of facility you have, you know, you might work at a smaller lab. So in that case, you probably will do the culture. But sometimes, you know, larger facilities will have PCR instruments, just like the GeneXpert Cepheid that I mentioned in the previous episode that you can use for your group A. So they make also tests for group B. So you can also, that swab, instead of doing the culture, you can go through a procedure where you can actually end up running it on the PCR, on the PCR instrument. But I will talk more about that on the next episode. Nucleic acid methods, culture, PCR methods for blood and vaginal rectal swabs. Now, for your students out there, there's a classic test that we use. You might not use it nowadays, I don't know, maybe here in the States, not as often, but there is a test that is called the CAMP test. But this is good, you know, it probably will show on your boards, like your ASCP. So it's definitely good to know about this. So what does CAMP stand for? Well, it stands for Christie, Atkins, and Munch-Peterson. It is used to differentiate group B strep from other streptococci. And this taste is based on the production of, a, of an extracellular hemolytic protein that acts in synergy with the beta lysing of staph aureus to enhance the lysis of the red blood cells. How do you perform this test? Well, you streak a line of staph aureus in the center of the plate, blood agar plate, and then you streak a line of the organism that you are testing perpendicular to that of staph aureus. And it has to be done within two millimeters of staph aureus. So this is a definitely a very simple setup of the test. And your microbiology textbooks, I mean, I know like um, Bailey and Scott's Diagnostic Microbiology, or you might be using another one. You know, they, they, they detail the procedure. It's fairly simple. Even the American Society for Microbiology, the ASM, if you Google um, CAMP test ASM, there is a document there with the instructions on how to perform it. So there's definitely many sources where you can go to if you have any questions on how to perform the test. But it's definitely a very simple one. So once you, you, know, you do that line with the staph aureus, and then perpendicular, you do the line within 2 millimeters 
of you know the line of Streptococcus agalacti that is two millimeters from the staph warriors. And then once you have done that, you will incubate that plate in a non-CO2 incubator for 24 hours. A positive result is the appearance of an arrowhead where the two lines come together. And you might ask yourself, what's, what's this arrowhead? Well, this is an indicator of enhanced hemolysis. A negative result is the absence of the arrowhead, indicating no hemolysis. And as I was preparing for this episode, I went ahead in the lab. I don't do it in my lab. I mean, where I, where I work, we identify strep either by group B culture or PCR methods or Molotov. So I haven't done a camp test in school, but they ask about it in the boards. So, and they ask about it in school. So it's definitely good knowledge to have. But I went ahead and set it up and it worked out beautifully and you could see the arrowhead. So that arrowhead is an indicator of enhanced hemolysis. Now there are, there's another organism that can do a, what they call a reverse CAM test, but hopefully we'll talk about that on a later episode down the road. Just to clarify, the organism that you're testing perpendicular to the Staph aureus, it's the one that you are testing for CAMP, which in the case of group B strep, it's positive. Today you have learned about a, new, a different species of strep under a different Lansfield classification system, group B streptococcus. And like I keep mentioning, this is definitely a very serious organism. I mean, all the other ones tend to be as well, but this one causes meningitis. So we have to make sure in the lab, regardless of the colony count on women of childbearing age, we always report it. So even if we have one colony and the patient is of childbearing age, we go ahead and report it. But it's, it's a very easy organism to treat, unless, you know, they treat it with penicillin, unless the patient is, you know, it's allergic to it, then they will have to request more testing. But normally we don't do susceptibilities on it in the lab. And I will talk more about that on the next episode. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy listening about Group B Strip and learning about it. As always, I enjoy sharing all this information with you. Please make sure that you always stay motivated. Continue bringing that passion to what you do. This is an amazing profession. All the things we get to see, learn, and at the same time, help out the patients because that's what we do it for. So continue staying motivated, bringing that passion, stay safe. And before I say it, soon we're going to have some, some interviews that are coming your way with great information. So stay tuned, continue listening to the podcast, go ahead and leave a review, rate, download episodes. So stay motivated, stay safe. And of course, Continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.